welcome back to... Hey, great shot. You are now listening to part two of our conversation with Ben Rothenberg of the New York Times, where we break down our favorite next-gen ATP prospects on tours now. It wouldn't be a great shot podcast if it wasn't you know, two hours long. So, of course, we had to divide it into two parts. In part one, Ben and I talked a little bit about Andy Murray, and then we discussed the criteria we used in breaking down these next-gen players into tiers. In part one, you'll find tier one, which is our, the players we think are going to be the superstars on tour, as well as tier two, which we view as the Marin Chilich area of guys who are certainly going to be competing but may not be as memorable as say the big four are uh in this part of the podcast we will be talking about our tier three guys those are guys we think are going to be in the top 25 top 50 for the long period of time we also talked about some of the guys we didn't have on our list but we think could make breakthroughs uh in 2019 as well as later on into the future i will ask if you haven't already please subscribe to this podcast as well as our other podcast the cracked interviews pod you know rate review talk to us because we want to know what do you guys think about these pods are there listeners are there are there other people you want to be listening to? Blah, 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 blah. Sorry, Westoff. Are there other types of guests you think we should be bringing on? Are there aspects of the tennis world we're not talking about enough that you would like to hear? Please, we want to hear from you, the listener. Again, if you missed anything from the end of the tennis season, go check out our website as well, CrackedRackets.com. We've got a ton of great top content for you there, including our exclusive coverage of the top-notch wildcard series event in Indianapolis, where Felix Corwin took home a qualifying wildcard into the Cleveland Challenger event. He will have the opportunity to play as well as with the winners of the top-notch series events in Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Kansas City. He'll have the chance to compete with them in a four-player draw for a main draw wildcard card so we will be keeping you updated on that series moving forward and if you want to learn anything about our champion felix about any of the other players that compete in that event again go check out our website crackedrackets.com but with that being said we hope you enjoy part two of our conversation with ben rothenberg Well, let's stick with the theme of Russians as we transition into Tier 3. I know it's kind of uh, – and I, I promise I won't keep you for too much longer as well. Uh, but just in, in terms of guys who I've been impressed by this year, Andre Rublev coming back from injuries. But, you know, he's 7-6 and six in ATP matches, also has an Indian Wells Challenger final on top of that. I would say he's got as much firepower as any player on tour. When he's hitting his forehand big, you're just, you know, you're f***ed. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> just for me, the, the, the reason I have him a little bit lower, a little bit inconsistent, uh, a little bit crazy as well, but I suppose he'll mature with time. Um, but just I, I think he's missing that sort of baseline consistency. I think another guy without a plan B to be included in that tier two breadth of players we just talked about. Yeah, he's not one of the ones the next gen I'm most excited about for sure. Um, but there, when it when it works, it works, and he can be a, definitely a, a guy people don't relish seeing in their draw. Yeah, and I should say for this tier three, these are guys I think top twenty um, may makes you know second weeks of Grand Slams make deep runs in Masters event win five hundred two fifties, but won't be to the level of these other guys. Uh, another player I have I, in this category, they're all kind of heavy firepower players, but all lacking some specific trait. 
Taylor Fritz and Kyle Edmund, two more guys I have in this category, both big hitters for Edmund. He's coming back from injury, only has eight uh, professional ATP level matches on his belt, but also won that Indian Wells Challenger title where he beat Rublev in the final, makes round of 16s in Indian Wells in Miami, slowly rounding into form. I still just think the backhand is such a liability. That's why I, I could never see it holding up over a two-week span for a slam, and that's why he, Rublev, and then for Fritz, it's the movement. They're all just a, a little bit below those other guys. Yeah, I mean, I like Fritz, I think, a little more than Rublev. I think that I just think he's got a, it's a really aesthetically pleasing game. It's sort of a good polar opposite contrast of a game to Tiafo. Way less explosive, but way more fluid and way more sort of technically sound and pleasing looking that way and that can be a very solid base um for a game to be sort of a this generation's burditch or something um mm. so so i mean that's a you know upside for sure and so we'll <laughs> see what he can do but, but i like his uh but i like i like fritz I, I think fritz is a very solid foundation in a way that's you know that he's, he's mo- most complete of the Americans out there. Here's the thing. You can't talk about Taylor Fritz, though, and a uh, big fan of his. Big fan of his game, as you will. The serve is gorgeous, but his volleys are f***ing horrible. They're just yeah. not good. I'm sorry. They're just not. No, I mean, he, that's why he doesn't do it much. I mean, he's he's a baseliner. Um, he's, you know, not great in that category, but certainly plenty of good players have been subpar but here's sure. the thing for Fritz, given the athletic limit, and look, he's talented. He's 21 years old. I, I get all of that, but his game is so predicated on being aggressive, uh, taking huge cuts at the baseline. If he could learn to move forward, you know, not get involved in longer baseline rallies, shorten those points, it would be so beneficial to his game. And I just worry that the foundation is just it, it's a little soggy. No, that's 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 a fair take. I I, I think that. He's still someone who's, you know, going to take time to mature. I think you just haven't seen the best from him yet. I think that he's somebody else who will, you know, has, has he's had trouble knocking off the top guys. I don't think he has a big four win to his name yet. Um, but he's someone who's I think, matches up decently well against other guys in his generation when he's had the chance. And who knows, maybe maybe once they're the main majority population on tour, he'll, he'll be able to shine more. This is a stupid, or it's not really a stupid stat, but, you know, the ATP Infosys, they had the under-pressure leaders in terms of percent of breakpoint save. Taylor Fritz is ranked 16th on tour. He saved 64.9% of the breakpoints he's faced. Uh, now, I don't have the numbers of how many he's faced, and that's over the last 52 weeks, but there is something intangible about the way he's able to serve himself out of trouble. And, yeah, I'm definitely excited about him. I see what you're saying in terms of the smoothness of his game. Just... I just think that's, again, what leaves him a little bit short. The other guy I mentioned, and then we can move on, Kyle Edmund. I mean, the the, the script is kind of out, right, on what he is. Sorry? What, it, Emma, what were we just saying? It, for Kyle Edmund, it's kind of yeah. it's kind of clear what his game is now. Yeah. No, he's a he's a big forehand guy. He's he's He is what he thought he is. I mean, I, I think that his – I was showing up in semifinal last two years ago. Came out of – or just last year, I guess. Wow came out of nowhere i did not see him being a, a guy making a grand slam breakthrough like that um but again the draw kind of broke his way more or less although he did actually have some pretty good wins of his own in there he beat anderson first round and he beat dimitrov who was playing well in those quarters um yeah i think he's going to kind of settle into being a top 30 kind of player i i don't see top 10 in his near future for sure uh but but we'll see i think he, he's kind of he seems someone who's kind of ebbs and flows and just didn't seem all that 
I don't know, fully engaged when I saw him in Miami. Just didn't seem totally checked in in a way compared to a lot of the other guys who were younger than him. Um, so I think he's got some sort of figuring out of his game and his career to do. I remember in those Isner tiebreakers, he got mad. Someone was, like, clicking photos in the crowd or something. He started chirping with the line judge, and then, you know, a call didn't go his way, and all of a sudden things spiraled out of control, and he lost that second set tiebreaker. Yeah, I— I kind of see Kyle Edmund as Stevie Johnson 2.0. Maybe a little bit more firepower, uh, similar backhand troubles, but y- you know what you're going to get out of them. That's fair. Yeah, no, I, I think that, I think that's that's fair, and that's not necessarily. Uh, yeah, it's not Johnson's a bad thing. A little older. It's not a bad thing. But it's not a great thing either. When we talk about the kind of expectations we're setting for guys, and I mean, Kyle's had better results than Steve Johnson at the majors for sure. Um, so yeah, that's why it's 2.0. Yeah, if 2.0 means better, yeah, then yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so slightly better. But then, all right, uh, the last uh, group of guys I want to talk about, these are the new guys who have really caught my eye this year. Um, you know, we, we talked about them a little bit throughout our Great Shot podcast in 2018, but these are guys who have had really good results, uh, really stuck out, and guys who I think will be watching the next 10 years, hopefully. Uh, the, we've alluded to him. I asked you to hold these thoughts earlier. Hubert Hercatch, who starts the year at number 86 and jumps to number 52. I'm going to affectionately call him Hubie because I don't want to you know, mess up his his name. 9-7 and seven on the year, makes an Indian Wells quarterfinal, Dubai quarterfinal, beat team in Miami, beats Nishikori twice this year, wins over Shapovalov and Pui Berrettini. I mean, this guy is the real deal. It seems it. I mean, I, haven't seen, I hadn't seen a ton of him at all before last year. Um, he made it into the Milan field, I think is an alternate. And he was not someone I was very familiar with then. Uh, seeing more of him now and just been impressed with his sort of, you know, professionalism and his composure out there. And not somebody who, again, who's gotten a lot of hype and shows you can do without hype. I think hype is kind of a neutral overall. You know, I mean, I don't know that it's helped Felix per se to be talked about since he was 12 uh, <laughs> as being a, as being a surefire Grand Slam champion. That has to be pretty tough in a lot of ways. And in a lot of ways, it can also be tough when no one's giving you the support, when no one's giving you the, the early money or whatever that Hubert has missed out on by being so under radar. Uh, but he, he's gotten there, and he's, he's in the mix, and it'll be interesting to see what he can do on other surfaces. I've, again, not seen much of him at all, so I don't know what to expect on on clay or uh, grass. I, guess, I think he remember, I guess he beat, did he beat Sangren first round in Paris last year, maybe? So he, maybe he can do some things on clay. I would think being from Poland, he'd be a, probably grew up on clay courts, so... You know, maybe, I, I think he could have a good sort of run and be a solid guy in the mix in terms of upside. I don't know. I mean, it's too early to tell, but Comple- he's acquitted himself well this this month for sure this, in Com- March. Completely agree with you. That's why I have him uh, in this next tier four. These are all guys who I just haven't seen really enough of to make huge uh, assumptions about. But yeah, Hercatch is one to watch. Another guy who, former world junior number one, a uh, little bit smaller compared to a lot of these guys. You know, Hercatch, it seems like now if you're 6'4, 6'5, 6'6, you can serve a little bit. You have a chance of breaking that top 50. Miromir Kasmenovic is not that big, you know, he, but he this year has jumped from number 131 to number 89, kind of by default, got the luckiest draw as a lucky loser, so I suppose it's fitting, in Indian Wells to make the quarterfinals, ended up losing to Rayonich, and I think got a walkover from Nishioka after winning that first set uh, the round before. Made a second round in Miami, qualified for the Australian Open. Now, he's not a guy who's going to, you know, break the top 50, maybe win an ATP title this season, but... His skills, I mean, from the baseline, it, it's similar to Chung. They just, the way they're so solid, the way they work the court, you take notice of it. 
Yeah, no, and he was a, a junior number one formerly, so you know that he knows how to win and compete on a on a good level. And, and whether that's the thing with – you can always tell that about guys who've gotten to be top juniors. Like, they, they their mental games are almost always pretty solid. It's just a question of if those weapons will translate to this higher weight class, and, and that's the question, I guess, with, with Kekchmanovic being one of the smaller guys and not having the obvious huge weapons the other ones do. So we'll see how that all bears out. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you, and I think, again, sample size too small. We'll watch more of him on the ATP as he always stacks up to those top-level weapons. Uh, another guy, still 23 years old, but it feels like he's been around forever, Laszlo Jure, who this year jumps from number 93 to number 32. He's already won a Rio Open title, made the semifinals at the Brazil Open, wins over Team Bedene, Felix Ogier-Alassim twice, and Jaziri. Uh, th- he is literally the poster child of when I was saying we see these young guys winning week in, week out. The last low jeers of the world are finding space. No, I, that was the thing with that Rio draw. I mean, er, very early on, like I think by the time they were in the quarters, there were like no like top 70 players left in that draw or something crazy like that. So you knew somebody's ranking was going to skyrocket whoever won that tournament because 500 points up for grabs is a ton for players in what essentially was by that point like a kind of challenger level draw even though Jer- Laszlo and Felix did both knock off top guys to open up that draw more for themselves. Um, he took advantage of that. Where it leads to in his career, I don't know. I mean, he's, again, somebody who I haven't seen play many of the top guys much at all. Uh, and so it was a very nice story in Rio, but how to parlay that into something looking forward, I have very little clue for him. He's certainly more on my radar now than he was before. Because um, yeah. I'd, I'd known the name and seen him as another Serbian coming up. Um, but what he did there uh, definitely definitely got him some notice and gave him a bit of a, a calling card for the first time, which is good for him. And he'll get basically a year's worth of direct entries into big tournaments off of that win, so that's good for him. That's half the thing with these guys like FAA and Jure. Now when you've accumulated so many points in the early part of the year and you just can play with the rest of your season, it's so much, you know, the release of relief of pressure, it's so nice for these guys. So yeah, he's got the clay portion of the season coming up. We'll see if he can continue his success on that surface. Uh, another guy, Yoshihito Nishioka, a guy I got to meet in Stowe, Vermont, for a really cool event uh, put on there. He's jumped from 75 to 64 in the world, 7-7 on the ATP Tour, made that Indian Wells round of 16, made a Sydney quarterfinals, second round the Australian Open before he lost to Kachinov. Uh I mean, he's small, but God, does that guy track down everything. Oh, yeah, he's the, the best defender and the fastest guy of this generation I mean, he's a little bit older i'm not sure if he's next gen technically but he, so real uh, quick just to i consider yeah. next gen anyone born uh my year or later that's why curios Edmund get on this list because if you're born in 1995 like i am you're not old we're still next okay gen. that's fully great subjective younger than me criteria <laughs> um yeah uh, nishioka um is yeah i mean he's he's again someone in like a little bit of that demon or conversation like he's not someone who's going to be a traditional sort of world beater and go out there and do things his way, but he's an absolutely nightmare out for people um, and will play a lot of spectacular points and be a crowd favorite. And uh, now hopefully he gets a good run of health after, you know, trending up a couple of years ago and then tearing his ACL uh, in Miami. And, you know, hopefully he, he keeps his health together. He can be a good clay quarter uh, grass. I've never seen him on grass. I'm pretty sure. I don't know what he can do there, but he, he should be somebody who I think can actually make some moves on clay and, uh, and be a, pretty comfortable on that surface 
I think he's going to have some great opportunities this summer to accumulate some points at, you know, the Atlantas, the City Opens of the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he's going to excel in those summer hard court tournaments. I remember before he got injured, I think he played Tiafo in Champagne. And it was just, what, 2014, 2015. And yeah, just he seems to have physically gotten back to that point where he's comfortable moving, you know, his knee, he's at full health. Uh, he's comfortable hitting these passing shots. I watched his match with FAA, and I mean, at Indian Wells, and he just tracked everything down. He he kept making FA be the aggressor from uncomfortable positions of the court. And yeah, this guy can hit a passing shot as well as anyone on tour. So really impressed with him. Not sure if you know he'll compete for a Grand Slam ever in his career, just because of how physical uh, you know physically difficult that will be for him. Uh, but certainly an impressive player. The last guy I really want to go in depth about, uh, Jami or I think it's Jamie. I don't know why I said it like that. Munar who jumps from number 81 to number 60. We saw him as a late addition to last year's next-gen ATP Finals. Uh, 10-8 on the year has made three ATP quarterfinals. Wins over Fognini, Nori, Elbat, Cecinato, Andrazi, Mayer. Solid player. I mean, I, I thought it was kind of a fluke that he made Madrid last year, but he has certainly seemed to have uh, lived up to that. No, I mean, I think with, first of all, maybe before you move ahead, Aliasim, uh, OJ Aliasim versus Nishioka in New Orleans. Probably the best men's match of the year so far. Let me just put that really out there. see. I, it, it definitely could be. And just in terms of entertainment value, that match was nuts. Uh, that's a good point. I'm trying. I really love Djokovic Medvedev. I mean, I'm a weirdo, but like I love the grinding that is a weird matches. Pick. That, that's weird. Yeah. Physically weird. though, it was incredible. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was a great match. So I really enjoyed watching that. I don't know favorite match of the year. I'll have to think about it. But sorry, go on. Anyway, so that that's want to get out there. Munyar is the first one of these people we've talked about who's a set to be a really pure dirt baller. So I'm very concerned, very not concerned, very uh, what he does in this clay season, I think will really determine his upside. And he's the one who's going to be making moves on clay and mostly clay and probably nothing else for the time being uh, in terms of upside. I mean, hard courts are playing much slower these days than they were five, 10 years ago. So maybe he can do more in hard courts too, but he can absolutely, I think make a master's quarter semi, something like that this year on clay. Um, with the right kind of draw. I mean, he, he last year in the French Open beat Ferrer first round, which is an incredible win for for a young guy on clay at a major. Um, so big hopes for him on clay. Uh, and it's going to be a very interesting time of year to watch him, uh, especially in home tournaments like Madrid and Barcelona. Maybe he can make some, some noise. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The only other guys I have in this category, Mackie, Berrettini, and Nicolas Jerry. Um, not much has changed for them in my assessment since last year. Uh, anyone else can I'm I, forgetting? I, yes, you're definitely forgetting somebody uh, who is Bublik, who oh, I love. You um, put So I have him on my list of guys to watch. I have him a little bit lower. I, too erratic. I, I, I get it. When you have a serve like that, you, you just have to take notice because of how many easy free points he's going to win. But for every AC hits, he hits .75 double faults. Yeah, but that's just fun. You know, it keeps, it keeps <laughs> you on your toes. And, and he's, you know... He's a really, really fun, flashy player. He's he's winning a lot too now. He's won yeah. a bunch of challengers lately. He just won this Monterey challenger last weekend and, and he made a decent looking run in Miami, lost to Kyrios, and Kyrios was hilarious afterwards. Kyrios was like, Yeah, that kid's just, you know, gotta work on getting some higher percentage shots and he worked a little harder in practice and then said, like, I can't believe I'm a person saying that about somebody else. <laughs> uh, clearly which is like he's exactly like Kyrios. He's clearly so much in that lane, um, which is a very fun lane to be in and I'm glad there's somebody else in there and he's a uh, all over the place prospect and just a lot of fun to watch. And if you haven't seen Bublik, you should check him out on the on a Qualies court near you sometime soon. He's uh, a lot of fun. Although now I say Qualies, but he's going to be main draw at Grand Slams. He's top 
100 again. So, yeah. um, so that's a the game is better for it. I'm very excited with the rise of Bublik here. So, in terms of challenger titles in 2019, he's won Budapest, he won in Pau, and he won this Monterey one. And uh, yeah, he's physically the things he can do so impressive, and he's only 21 years old. Just too erratic. I can't. I watched so much. I like. Yes, I had. I mean, too erratic for what? Too erratic for like (laughs) winning grand slams? Like maybe okay, but like not too erratic for like a good time at the ballpark. You know, watching him. I mean, like I think he'll be a huge value after this generation. He'll be somebody who will mix things up. Will keep people on their toes. And and this this (laughs) it just makes things generally spicier. Too erratic for my blood pressure. I, uh, you know, I want to watch as much tennis as possible, so I forced myself to watch. Forced myself. I enjoyed watching Bublik Sandgren in that semifinal. Talk about a weird match. Sandgren goes three of sixteen on break points. He had so many chances, uh, but yeah, Bublik just kind of sticks around. He hits that one extra drop shot that makes you annoyed, um, and he took it to Emilio Gomez in the final. I. I don't know. It's it's I I just can't I can't fall in love with it because I definitely would, and I just I'm not willing to put myself out there for it. You got to do it. You got to do it. Got to be. You can't be afraid to love. <laughs> All right, that sounds good to me. Well, speaking of love, I love myself some American next gen players. There are a lot of them we didn't mention in this. Tommy Paul, Jared Donaldson, Michael Moe, all kind of suffering from the injury bug, so jury's still out on them. Two guys I want to mention real quick, and then I promise we're done with the players. Stefan Kozlov and Ernesto Escobedo. Now, Kozlov, I, I've you know I've watched him since he was 11 years old. It feels like the guy's always been the most talented player of his generation, and then physically, it just kind of topped out. And I and for Escobedo, you know, he suffered injuries, but this is a guy who broke into the top 100 either last year or in 2017, and just cannot string wins together now on the challenger level. And I guess you you can talk about any of those Americans, but what what have you seen from the American next gen players in general? From those two you mentioned, um, with Kozlov, I mean I loved watching Kozlov as a junior. He was so much fun to watch. He was in the juniors from a very young age and was a great great junior. Uh, didn't win a slam, made a Wimbledon final, I guess. Um, but and an he, Australian final, right against and an Australian. Yeah, I, that sounds plausible. Yeah, let's go with that. And, <laughs> yeah. and he. Uh, you know, he's still someone who I think has a lot of respect from other people in his group. He's someone who's friends with, you know, Curios gave him a shout out on the camera lens of <laughs> after one of his Acapulco wins, um, which was unexpected and out of nowhere. But, you know, I, I hope that seeing guys do well can inspire some sort of breakthrough in him. I, I From what I hear from people, his work ethic has kind of been a little dodgy uh, in terms of the last few years and just been not as committed to it. And, you know, his dad's a tennis coach. He was kind of born into the sport before he had a choice probably and maybe he's gotten a little burnt out that way that'd be very understandable um, but i hope he gets a reset because his game when it's working um, and i even remember like a run he made to the like in a sacramento challenger or some sort of northern california challenger a few years ago tiburon some sort of 100k i don't know uh he was great and just seeing him even play against like a sneak check kind of player at that level uh was a lot of fun to see what he could do so i hope i hope as tennis fans we get to see him because he's a very intriguing appealing player to watch even if he has not uh taking advantage of some of the he's got a bunch of wild cards actually did some tour events that's not really taking advantage of any of them and now this ranking's a bit tanked i'm not sure how many of those are going to come now so and with this new itf tour i'm not sure how tough it's going to be for him to build up now too so uh he's got an uphill climb but hopefully he if he wants to hopefully he goes for it and then escobedo escobedo you mentioned with shapovalov i think he's a far more extreme case of not having a plan B. Um, he's, he's in terms of men's tennis, the most sort of ball bashing type player I can think of. 
um, a lot of times. And he just has that huge, huge forehand power that he goes for and really lives or dies with that shot. And it's been more die than live lately, unfortunately for him. Um, again, I hope that he can get some inspiration maybe from the success his cousin had. Uh, Emilio Nava, his first cousin, who made the Australian Open Boys final earlier this year and lost to Muzetti um, in the final mm-hmm. of Australia. Um, and maybe that can reinvigorate the family a bit and get him a little bit more motivated or steady or something because he's, he's got a lot of gifts, but they're kind of strewn all over the room in terms of his game right now. And needs to needs the right coach to get through to him and get him more organized and get his point construction and his, his plan B and his other things going because – it's he's he when he I, I watched some of his match in the Dallas Challenger I think this year, and it just was not pretty, honestly. Yeah. Seeing him, you know, have the one thing he did and have it got exploited pretty clearly even at that even at that level. No, it was crazy. Nava beats Borna Gojo first round of Monterey, and I think Escovedo lost first round. I'm sure if you would have asked them two years ago, would you expect that to happen? They'd have said no. Um, yeah, it's. Look, people go through stretches. All of these players are so young. But, yeah, these are guys we've seen put together incredible tennis, so hopefully they're able to do that again. Last next-gen related question to you. It's the ultimate gotcha question, but we can't round out this segment without anything else. Does okay. a player we have qualified in this conversation as next-gen win a Grand Slam in 2019? So, I mean, before I say yes or no, I think this almost entirely depends on Novak Djokovic. Like I think Djokovic, I think every slam this year is Djokovic is to lose. Um, I think that's how good his Australia was, and his March certainly raised a lot more questions than it answered uh, with him going out early twice. But then there was all this backroom intrigue with him, you know, leading this uh, coup of Chris Kermode atop the ATP, but then refusing to talk about it, which is all very frustrating and different topic. But um, just not handling that well at all from a communications point of view. Any of the guys in the player council really. Um, so yeah, I, if that, if that cloud clears and he's able to focus on his tennis more, I think he's the fav can be a favorite for the French open kind of right now. I'd have him as a co-favorite with Nadal. Um, and, uh, Wimbledon, he's won so many times, which is again, still sort of surprising to me that that's been such a great slam for him, given that it's on grass and his game is not a grass game at all. Uh, and then U S open, he's, he's hardcore, so he should do well there. So if he is shaky, then yes, I think one of these other guys gets it. Because I think the only other people are Nadal at the French and then Federer at Wimbledon, who can really, or maybe US Open too for Federer, but probably he hasn't been the final there in forever. Or won the title there actually in forever. Um, so if Djokovic goes out early repeatedly, I'll say yes. Otherwise, no. So I can't I can't give him more clear yes or no than that. But I think it's no. all on Djokovic, basically. That was not a cop-out. And, in fact, one of the takes I stole from you, I don't remember if it was on our podcast or one of the others I listened to of yours, is that, yeah, Djokovic could e- – not easily, but it's, it's very re- – not very. It's realistic that he could win all four this year. That's not a crazy thought. He's the guy three out of five you just physically cannot match up with. And I think that was a take you had at the end of last year at the beginning of this one. That, yeah, yeah it's, on the, it's fully on the table. I mean, it's really, really hard. Really, really hard. And it gets cumulatively much harder. Um, saw that with Serena in 2015. You know, that U.S. Open was a labored tournament for her, even before – it all came crashing down in the semifinals against Vinci. Like, she made some matches tough against an opponent who wouldn't be tough against normally for her there, just because the weight of the world was on her shoulders and the expectation of being the first one to do it in forever. And the last man to do it uh, was Rod Laver, I guess, in 1969. So 
be 50 years since then. I can see the headlines already themselves. You know, the narrative is all super easy. And Djokovic, uh, as maybe some of this March stuff showed, it's not always the best when there's massive pressure. And but I, I do think that he's I do think that he's kind of overdue for that kind of moment where he. Because Djokovic, for all of his greatness, has not really captured the wider public imagination in his career. But going for a calendar slam in New York would definitely be the moment for him. Is there a coronation moment for him the way that Serena had it in 2015 also? Um, all right. Two more and then I'll let you go. Uh, the Olympics changing the final. It's now two out of three tiebreak sets to go along with the rest of the rounds. They're also changing doubles to third set super breakers. You're a proponent of shorter tennis. Do you like this one as well? Uh, okay, well, I, the blanket shorter tennis proponent. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm is, kidding. Is is something that people say like, oh, you know, you just want it to be like one of those like best of one point, and there's this sort of slippery slope <laughs> argument that comes out that I'm not, I'm definitely not in favor of. Um, the doubles thing first, I don't know that I love that. Uh, Ten point tie breaks in a best of three match, like they're already short enough. There's already there's already really good participation in Olympic doubles from top players. Um, the, the mixed doubles had already been. 10 point final sets in the Olympics. So uh, I don't think that's necessary. I don't think it'll really help improve, help uh, participation because I think it was already really good in Olympic men's and women's doubles. All the top players would play it. Um, Federer won his gold medal in, in doubles, obviously. Uh, Nadal did well in doubles. We went gold, actually, right, last time in 2016 with Mark Lopez, I think. So uh, yeah, so I don't think, I don't like that one. I don't, I, I don't hate it, but I don't think it's necessary <laughs> per se. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the best of five final best of three final i will say i was in cincinnati in 2016 during the men's final um and which was a four set match between murray and del potro and there were guys in the in the player lunch i was sort of hanging out there watching parts of it trying to find people to talk to whatever people's opinions on this is the thing with men's tennis players like as much as they as much as a lot of them enjoy competing in best of five they don't often watch a lot of it uh (laughs) like beginning to end they're not tennis fans or consumers in the same way um and i was talking to one guy whose opinion on best of five like totally changed during that match who was uh-huh. a you know was a top atp level player playing in cincinnati and was saying you know oh i went i watched some of that match i watched the first you know first you know half hour four minutes of that match and i went out to go practice i came back the match was still on you know i went and got lunch came back match was still on i went you know got my rackets restrung talked to this guy got, you know, got a massage came back match was still on and I was thinking, like, holy crap! Like, someone would have to sit there this entire time to watch this match, mm-hmm. and and it was like, and it was, which was, I think, just over four hours. And I think, especially in the Olympics, I think it really struck people uh, in 2016 that that match was too long, which I fully believe it was, um, because you're watching all these other sports in the Olympics. You have a great context for what other sports do, and putting tennis very side by side uh, next to other sports, and no other sports take that long to complete you know, a gold medal match. I mean, uh, certainly a gold medal round if they're like another sport. There maybe I looked it up, like there was maybe one or two other events that were like fifty kilometer race walking or something like that that <laughs> took longer than four hours. Seriously. There were like only a few weird freak events that like took as long as that. And I just my what I like about tennis has never been about it being the sport that takes forever. I just don't think that's a selling point for the sport at mm-hmm. all. That it's like, oh, you know, come watch tennis, bring lunch. It'll take a while. I just don't think I just don't see how that's a positive for the sport. I really don't. Yeah. I don't and think that's that's you know what crowning a gold medal worthy tennis player should come down to. I don't think it should be all about physicality or endurance or who can last the best over four hours. It's just a weird thing for a sport to need to do. I think you can get to the point 
in in best of three and have it be a very fair contest and a very merit-based contest and, and no one will feel cheated and it, it comes up all the time at the u.s open too when you know there's matches that end at 1 a.m or close even after 2 a.m and the stands are so empty and it's just like what are we doing with this sport that we're en- making people miss the ending people have to leave this match sports over routinely and that's just to me is a huge structural failure for the well, sport with the preface that the only Olympic tennis rounds I really remember watching closely are 2012 and 2016, that Murray Del Potro mm-hmm. match in the 2016 final, the look on Murray's face when he realizes he's clinched another gold medal, a combination of exhaustion and elation, and it's just something so unique to the three out of five format because Murray gave everything in that final against Delpo. Delpo was just swinging away. You know, he beat Nadal the round before, and that was a thrilling two out of three set match to your point and beat Djokovic in that first round as well. All, you know, Djokovic leaves the court crying. So yes, and in general, I tend to sympathize. Like I've mentioned, I'm a fan of yours. I, I totally understand and as someone who watches so much college tennis as well, the no ad scoring adds a thrilling component. You know, you make sure the no match is longer than two and a half, three hours, all of these things. But just in the grandest of stages, with that being the Olympic final, the you know that is really the pinnacle of the sport. As you you get there, it's once every four. It's not the pinnacle of the sport. That's a lie. But it's one of the pinnacle moments. I don't mind it being three out of five. I really enjoy yeah. seeing the players push to the edge. I do. I I I'm not that that's sadistic i don't need to have them play for that long before the stakes get interesting because it's the thing like you you know it's too long until someone's under pressure and if the if at a grand slam even let's say like nadal loses his first set of his first round match against i don't know uh her cats and you won't really get interested in that match even if him down a set until he's like down a set and a break or down two sets or something like that like because like you know he has so much rope to come back from that it makes it not interesting to me and, and and on the Olympic side, like one of the better matches, both Olympic finals were good, but I don't think that, that Puig Kerber gold medal match. I don't know if you watched that one, remember that no, match, but Puig's run was incredible there in Rio, and none of the emotion I think was at all diminished or abbreviated because she was able to wrap it up in under three hours. Yeah, like that was a, a three set match. It felt very complete. The stakes are so high. The emotion is just as real. Um, and in Olympics, especially, you see that you know the most watched, the most hyped event in the olympics is the 100 meter sprint mm-hmm. which takes less than 10 seconds and so i just don't th- i think the olympics is a really good counter argument to this notion that you need a long time to get going and, and i also think it's worth, worth talking about people you know talk about tradition men's matches did not used to take this long matches now are longer than they ever happened before with the physicality with more time between points da, 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 slower courts like there you know it was a long time before any semi-final or final at Wimbledon, I think, lasted more than th- two or three hours. Mm-hmm. I think it was, like, nothing over three hours until, like, this, like, 80s, 70s or 80s. Like, so the way the sport was built was just for a totally different time in the sports conditions and pace and physicality or whatever. So these marathon, marathon matches are a pretty new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, and they should be, you know, and I don't think they're making the sport any more popular. I really don't. Right. I think they're just making it tougher to get it on TV and to get people engaged in it. Look, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that's a perfect place. Uh, my final tweet for you, a uh, fun tennis Twitter uh, thing for mm-hmm. me, I noticed, and it was a response you had with at tweenerhead tennis, Philip Fama, who does some work with our Cracked Rackets team. He tried to call you out for saying uh, Naomi Osaka was repping her Nissan patch. He said it was Nissan, the car company. It was not. It was Nissan, the uh, noodle cup company. 
does it feel good when you get to own people like that? And I'm Philip. I'm sorry for bringing this up, but it was funny to me. Um, feel good. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he, he 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 sort of just came at me strangely hard I in that know. reply. That was I was sort of like, you know, bro, what you doing here? Like this is you know, calm down. Like uh, even if he, even if he had been correct, it was totally unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he wasn't correct. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. That was a weird. It was a weird swing and miss by him. I've never met him. Um, really nice guy. A, I promise. Okay, good. That's that's good to know. Um, but it, that was a weird, weird shot for him to take and kind of fan out on. But uh, I, yeah. I, get, um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily relish the 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 whatever you want to call it, the owning people or whatever. Like, <laughs> no, not especially. I mean, like, if it happens, it's fine. But like, that was a, that was too easy. Well. <laughs> I mean, I loved it. I again, I spend too much time on tennis Twitter trying to stay up to date. But when you get into some interactions with people, I just I love it. And so keep oh, it up. I you. would say you're my biggest winner of tennis Twitter. Always, I got to spend a portion on it talking about who got mad at you this week. And you know, I feel like it's it's less weird now that we've done two podcasts together. So know that I I admire from afar. No, you can easily be a weekly segment. I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> obviously too too much into tennis Twitter nonsense for better or worse almost entirely for worse um so yeah so uh Look, glad you glad you enjoyed it, at least I, I had some ones i left on the table there's a new tenacity kakanakis fan account that call themselves fans of cock i'm not even going to touch okay. that one there's the abierto gnp which i think was the monterey wta event this past week the commercial they did oh that was awesome that, that was, was great i mean just i don't even know what to think that was spectacular. That tournament was really that was a really really cool ad. If you haven't seen that one, people should check it out. So yeah, combined WTA event they added a challenger. So they had both Feliciano Lopez and Angelique Kerber. Kerber coming off her drama queen moment and getting <laughs> you know got no lines in this ad, but still you know was an interesting. It was cool that she agreed to be part of it at least. Um, and yeah, that was wild. And just like tennis should be far weirder. Like that's something I believe in too. And so that was aggressively weird in a way that tennis doesn't often dare to be. Like, you know, if you're Monterey, you have one week of the year. You might as well go for it and own it and just make it bizarre in a way that, like, uh, WTA New Haven did a good job at in recent mm-hmm. years. It's now a defunct tournament, but they did a lot of the sort of, like, ambitious, ready-to-go-viral sort of WTA uh, videos with WTA players. Um, and they did – and Nick McCarville was in those videos and stuff, too, and he did a good job with that. Um, and their whole team, like, thought about – and Indy Wells used to do these, too. Um, but, you know, putting an effort into that and making something that's just – weird and not safe is is tough because when you're you know a local tournament you're just the organizers are all focused on selling tickets and you know local media appearances and things that don't necessarily appeal to the general tennis twitter public but uh yeah that monterey one was easily easily best tournament content of the year it's gonna be pretty tough to top uh, the cinematography and everything was was spectacular and as i said on twitter you see why mexico is winning all these oscars for best director with that kind of photography happening there no exactly and well you know we're all in so i'll name the other one i was gonna leave off um there is a a, sorry i'm just getting i'm just watching this commercial now i pulled it up and this is really incredible but the atp this week got some notoriety they did a name that grunt uh, sort of video with all the players and i know we're not the first ones to come up with the idea but we did a show during the u.s open where we did that exact segment so you know atp at least throw us an mla citation or something good one (laughs) yeah um but yeah what what do you think of that video because speaking of risky and you know a little bit out there it was 
yeah i'm into that i like that i like i like that content i like seeing how zverev was that good at it you know i like seeing these people nerd out on it and they're pretty tough i mean like one of them was like rublev and that's pretty obscure for grunting um uh so i i like those sort of th i like things that are having tennis players talk about tennis and other tennis and reem abuleil of tennis 360 did some sort of quiz video i think last year in rome i want to say and like elena svitolina like just aced every possible question and knew everything about everybody else and it was impressive in seeing that these people care about their sport and sometimes they project that they don't you know there's certainly players like isner who give the impression they'd rather be watching football than playing tennis or watching tennis at any moment but even those guys you know do deeply care about the sport and do know their competitors and know things and those moments where you get them sort of geeking out about the sport in a way that fans would i think are really cool and those are cool things to go for so all for the grunting video. I wish WTA would do one too. Yeah. I know Courtney was saying that the women would get a lot of crap for doing it. No, it was celebrating it was, grunting. But yeah, if they're not going to ban it already, which they probably should have by now, they <laughs> might as well own it. Like pick one or the other. So um, yeah, so I, I would wish they would do it too. And uh, things like those Cards Against Humanity videos are, are cool. Um, and the first one's probably better, but they're they're good ideas. And uh, more of that would be a. Uh, a positive thing and, and more and more cross tour things this is actually something that's in the current i, I don't i don't want to give anything away but i've heard there are talks um in, between the tour communications people and we'll see if they actually pan out between trying to get a particular top 10 atp or in top 10 wta or to do a, a video together soon who've had their own sort of tennis twitter interactions and trying <laughs> to link them up in front of the camera Right. We'll see if that happens. Watch off. Give me who that is. Yeah, but, uh, it, it sounds. I mean, I, I'll leave it off. It sounds like a Hefanos. I don't even know how to say CT pass in a fake thing, but it sounds like a Stefano CT pass Naomi Osaka type of thing. If I have to guess correctly, um, West off. Give me a late breaking news sound effect. I like a little a little intrigue to end the podcast. Uh, yeah, it's you mentioned that Cards Against Humanity. That was so funny as well. They have a ton of great content, but. I've kept you for over two hours, and I so appreciate uh, you taking the time to do this because you, you, one of the few people who's willing to talk tennis this long with me. Uh, any, <laughs> I, yeah, so any final thoughts from you? No, I'm good. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for defending my uh, my Twitter existence. Few <laughs> people do that. And uh, anytime. Well, look, I was always taught you got to you gotta grease the wheels. You know, I, I have to do something for you, and then you're willing to come on. So I will continue to defend <laughs> you as long as you're willing to talk for two hours, eight minutes with me. But uh, huge well, thank you. When you make it that transparent, it's hard to resist. So. <laughs> oh, someone, uh, a wise man once said, self-deprecation builds trust. So, you know, I'm just trying to build trust. with That wise man yeah. was my college roommate, so take it with a grain okay. of salt. <laughs> yeah, uh, but huge shout-out to you. Huge shout-out to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, who have a an editing job to do. You know, as I mentioned, we are over the two-hour mark, so I'm sure we will have broken this into two parts by now. Uh, but, you know, I want to, again, if you're listening, listen to this podcast, listen to the Mini Break podcast. I think this Twitter Tuesday is going to be Tuesday's episode. Uh, listen to Cracked Interviews, What the Deuce podcast, rate, subscribe, review. Ben, I want to give you a chance. Where can our listeners read more of your stuff? Oh, well, clearly on this Twitter account of mine. It's a great place to start. <laughs> and then, um, or maybe to end, I don't know. Clearly it's off-putting for some people. And then, uh, yeah, I'm uh, Racket Magazine will be in the next couple issues doing stories there. New York Times stuff, all the normal places people find me. NCR, on a bit of hiatus now, but hopefully has an episode coming up soon. And, uh, yeah. 
Right, awesome, glad. Yeah, always a fan. It's one of my favorite subscriptions. When that little check tennis mark comes up on my Apple Pods, I'm like, oh, new NCR. So I look forward to hearing it. But one last time, for my wonderful co-host Ben Rothenberg, for our super producers Max Ligner and Daniel Westhoff, and from our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. I know I told you this over two hours ago, Ben, but do you remember what we tell our fans? Great shot. Right? <laughs> Leave in the confusion. That's perfect. Uh, yeah, it is. Hit, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we will see you all next week. Thanks again, Ben. No worries. Thanks, Alex.